Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. And as always, we'd like to start the show with apologizing. Can you remember what it is, Byron? I got a good one. Honestly, no, I have no idea. What do we do this time? Okay, so you know how I'm still baffled by the whole Midwest nonsense? Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not nonsense, but it's just I don't get it. I mean, it's kind of nonsense, and I, I've lived there. It, it's weird. I get it. So I don't know if you remember, I asked Preston why he doesn't have an accent, and so I yeah. was just kind of making assumptions <laughs> because he, he grew up in Arkansas, and it just doesn't make sense that you can be a couple hours apart and not have the same accent or slang or whatever that's just crazy to me so once again we have to apologize generally speaking to arkansas and the midwest for my lack of knowledge or my just general ignorance of all things midwestern um so yeah i guess i'm sorry i don't know byron are you sorry you, i don't know if i didn't anything. say anything offensive i understand you can like leave kansas city for like drive 10 miles and, and now it's at, you're in missouri not missouri so i get it okay you so know. you're equally confused and perplexed by not, the whole i mean Yes and no. I lived there for like six years, so I, I just get over it. Like it's, It is what it is. It's weird. Whatever. It's incredibly confusing for me. But that's the problem. <laughs> just the West Coast. And yeah, West Coast always, elitist. Yeah, West Coast, best coast. Sorry, not sorry. But anyways, let's get to it. Sorry, Arkansas. Um, and we'll apologize yeah. for that next week. Awesome. Yeah, and sorry for Preston to for assuming as well. Sorry, our bad. Anyways, today's sponsor... Is it going to be a little bit of a spoiler for who our guest just might be? And we're very excited um, to sully his reputation further with his presence on this podcast. But our sponsor today is a book called Unraptured. Maybe you've heard about it. Some people have some feelings about it, but you should buy it if you haven't heard it. it, it <laughs> heard about it. It's awesome. So the full title is Unraptured, How End Times Theology Gets It Wrong by none other than Zach Hunt. It's available on Amazon.com. We have a link in our description. You should go and buy it. It's a lot of fun. It literally, so I've been reading it. I, spoiler alert, I haven't finished it yet because my wife's about to give birth to our fourth child and I've been a little bit preoccupied. But it is pretty great. It's basically like somehow weirdly the exact experience I feel like you and I had growing up in the same circles and contexts. So, but basically it gets, <laughs> gets to a lot of really really meaningful um, conversations beyond just simply whether you believe in the rapture or when you might think it is. So you should read it. And with, with that being said, without waiting any longer, we're going to introduce our guest, Zach Hunt. Can you hear us, Zach? Are you with us? I can. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. We're excited Thanks. to have you here, man. Thanks for being on here, for taking the risk to be on some random podcast with guys you've never met. <laughs> absolutely i'm happy to do it awesome so zach we're gonna get a little more into your book um later on that'll be probably a, a main thread of our conversations that we have with you but this is a show where we like to really highlight the whole millennialness, especially as it pertains to faith and its relationship with culture and just our perspectives on a lot of stuff so with that being said we're going to establish your millennial cred if you will so could you give us your age, and then also just for sake of kind of rounding out the whole who Zach is briefly, can you tell us uh, your relationship to the church, basically like the things you've done in ministry briefly and where you're currently at? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm 36 years old um, as of last January. Um, I was born and raised in the Church of Nazarene. Um, family's been there for a few generations now. I uh, 
first got saved, uh, I think in kindergarten, and then subsequently every church camp after that. <laughs> um, uh, I uh, felt called to ministry around uh, middle school, high school, and went into youth ministry for several years, served in Nazarene Church for a little bit, and the United Methodist Church for a little bit more. Um, did a couple degrees in theology and Christian history, thinking I was going to teach, but then realized I... Um, really hate doing academic writing and am not very good at it. Um, so I took up popular writing and, you know, kind of fulfilled my call through, uh, you know, lay ministry and preaching and speaking and, and writing books and then raising a little bit of hell on the internet from time to time. From time to time. <laughs> We're going to get to that too, because I, I put two and two together um, a little while back. You used to blog or have a website called American Jesus, if I'm this is correct. That's correct. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have to full circle revisit that. But first, so you said you're 36, right? Yeah. So that puts you what year were you born? 1983. Oh, so Pew Research would definitely say that you qualify as a millennial. But let's prove it. We're going to play a game called How Millennial Are You? And Zach, I know I asked you before we started recording, you haven't heard this game played out, so a little just, I don't know, prep for you. We're going to just preemptively say sorry again to you, our guest, because <laughs> this may come across as slightly rude, but that's kind of the point. This and by slightly, we mean 100% rude. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed Mark. to be insulting, and that's kind of the point, so... These are stereotypes. These are labels. We don't like labels because labels are reserved for things, but people have names. Your name's Zach, but we're going to reduce you to that label to prove a point. So are you ready to play this game, Zach? I think so. <laughs> well, All right. Or not, well, here we go. Let's do it. Generally speaking, how entitled <laughs> are you? Oh, I like to think of myself as not as entitled as I used to be, but that's a pretty low bar. Low bar. <laughs> Okay, was that inside of maturity? Due, was that <laughs> was that due to all the participation trophies you received growing up? No, that's due to changing a lot of poopy diapers and realizing my place in life. <laughs> How many children do you have? Two. That'll do it. That'll do it. So you're like, so what were you at if you gave it a one one to ten then, as opposed to now? Scale of one to ten. How entitled are we? Before kids, I would give myself a solid eight. Okay. After kids, I'd bump myself down to a five. I mean, there's still a little entitlement there. Okay. But... <laughs> well, I don't know how we'll, we'll score that. We, we'll get to our judges later, but I guess maybe you could be a millennial. But basically, if you show any sort of entitlement whatsoever, the world would point to that as being some sort of millennial hang-up. Because so, we, guess... we created entitlement. If you didn't know that, no one else has ever been entitled before us. <laughs> but, We're the most entitled generation. Thing, yeah. So that one of three questions we're going to ask you in this first section, Zach, we're going to score you out of three. So that one's like maybe a point, but I don't know. We're, if we're going to be biased the way that most of the world is uh, oh, perceiving If he was an eight at one point, he's clearly entitled. It doesn't matter. So we're going to score it. He's a yeah. one. So Life experience one doesn't mean anything to the, the media or how older generations look at us. So, no, he's, he's definitely entitled. That's, that's a one. Yeah. All right. Second question, <laughs> Zach. Why do you hate Sears? Hmm. For going out of business, because I, I like their tire center, because I'm old and like weird things like that. <laughs> so, so you must be aware that the stereotype is that we hate certain things and we're very un-American in how we shop and how we don't like this, that, or the other. So it's basically our fault that these businesses are going out of business. 
Yeah, well, except mine in particular, because I did buy my t- my tires for Sears. Well, Nothing else, but I did get the tires. There. So that was, I, I guess we can't count that against him then. I wasn't expecting him to say he was such a faithful shopper of Sears. No, just just the one time. Just the one time? Okay. <laughs> he no, faithfully well, then, shopped there once. So. <laughs> so only one time. So no, yeah, you definitely hate Sears. You didn't patronize them enough, so that's two points against you. All right, go, Byron, question All three. right, the last one. This is probably the most important, too. With the constant threat to our southern border, how stressed are you about not getting your daily dose of avocados? Um, yeah, I'm not a good millennial there because I'm ambivalent on avocados. Like, I don't like guacamole, but I, I don't mind, like, a slice of avocado uh, on tacos. But I've never had avocado toast or had really any desire to have avocado toast. Well, then let's really uh, – this is really where the rubber will hit the road. How many avocados are in your house at this very moment? Oh, I'm sure there's a good rotting one somewhere because my uh, five-year-old loves them. <laughs> okay. Well, then I don't know. I don't know how to score that one, Byron. I'm thinking that's a, that's a no. So he's two out of three. So still millennial. Millennial-ish. Yeah. Millennial-ish. Yeah, I'm a bad millennial. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Not everyone can meet our high standard for being reviled. <laughs> um, so, so section number two is going to be a shift. So section number one, technically two out of three. Perhaps you're a millennial. Uh, section two is going to focus more on do you understand the beef the world has with millennials? So what we're going to do is we're going to give you three chances to pick out the correct headline. So we're going to read three headlines to you, and two of them are made up. One of them is real. So we'll see how, I guess, woke you are about your own uh, generation's <laughs> stereotypical nonsense that's going on in the world. So do you understand the stakes? I think so. I think my personal pride is, is at stake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or per- reputation. One or the other. A lot is at stake. You're the generational representation right now, so hopefully you don't ruin it for everybody. Um, hmm. All right, so question number one. Here's, here's three headlines. Pick out the one that's real. All right, headline one. The complete package. Millennials spur the rise of all-inclusive rent rates. Headline number two. I'm 29, and I love spending time with my 55-year-old parents. Headline number three, millennials have now ruined the internet. Ooh, I'm going to say three because Twitter exists. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, explain more. Explain more your rationale. Um... It's why we can't have nice things. (laughs) (laughs) So that's millennials' fault, though? I I mean, it's millennials in that, like, bridge generation, you know? Like, Gen Xers, I guess, a little bit. Um, But I feel like it's more uh, uh, millennials doing the policing of everything. Like, the unrequested policing of everybody's tweets and, like, how secretly biased or racist or prejudiced or this they are. Sure. Um, that makes sense. Fair enough. Um, well, sorry, you're wrong. Oh. So the real headline <laughs> is the I'm 29 and I love spending time with my 55-year-old parents. It, oh, that's just weird. It is kind of one that I wasn't expecting, which is why I picked it. It was from the Oprah publication. Uh, Oprah has a magazine, I guess. I don't even know. Huh. So. Oh, I love my parents. I just would not have <laughs> phrased it. Well, yeah, it's like, are we, are we supposed to be known as a generation who hates our parents? I'm confused. I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was Gen X. But, <laughs> or, I don't know. I, I get so confused with my generations. Yeah, well, that's the fun of this game. Is It forces you. So it's called the Oprah Magazine. 
Um, and then the subtitle thing is, is it weird that we're, they're my best friends? So really, oh, yes, that's I get... weird. Yeah, no, that's weird. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so really, I think the the gist of it is kind of playing on that whole kids never move out and have affiliate or launch and that sort of a thing. So, all right, well, struck out on the first one. You got two more chances, though. All right. Okay. So here's your next group. Taking over the limelight. Gen Z kids sick of all the millennial mislabeling. Number two is one in four millennials retirement plans are based on winning the lottery. And your third option Uh is the advertised generation. More millennials remember ad campaigns over basic American civics. Oh, I'll go with number. I I wanted to go with number two because that's my retirement. plan. (laughs) um, I'll say number three. Well, so the thing about this game is we kind of cheat because that might be a true statement, but it is not the actual ah. title. You were correct the first time. It is it is the retirement plans being based on winning the lottery. <laughs> That's sad. Yeah, it's terrible. But is yeah, it, we also talk to a lot. A... Oh, Sorry, what were you gonna say, Brian? I was gonna say, you know, we talk we've talked on this podcast before, but like we talk about how more millennials spend like millennials spend more money on coffee than they do their retirement, and we don't really prepare well. For the future, which yeah. is unfortunate, and I mean, I'm guilty of that too. I'm not judging anybody, but, but yeah, it was a. Yeah. Well, I'm expecting the rapture to happen, so <laughs> I'm not really worried. <laughs> Store your treasures in heaven, man, and don't worry about money <laughs> here. So the survey was from Stash. It's reported by Yahoo Finance. It says 18% of all those surveyed, all these millennials, are basing their retirement plans on hope of hitting the jackpot someday. Wow. <laughs> That's- that's that's terrifying. <laughs> True story. So are you 0 for, 0 for 2 so far, Zach? Let's try to redeem this with the last one. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Headline number one, the movie effect. More businesses using trailers to boost morale among millennial workers. Headline number two, how millennials made nostalgia big business. Headline number three, more than half of millennials expect to be millionaires. Ooh. Um, same place. I want to say two, but I'll go with three. Why? Um, I, I guess for me, it's like, it reminds me of growing up thinking I was going to play in the NBA. You know, I can't jump. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're um, correct. Yeah. You got it right. Yes. So you're one for three, Zach. So here's the deal. It was a recent survey by TD Ameritrade. Apparently more than half of the generation thinks they'll be millionaires one day, which is curious um, because obviously the immediate slight is, but they have no work ethic and they're entitled. So how's that going to happen? Right. Well, what do they mean by their retirement plan? I mean, yeah, that's why. What do they mean by by millionaires? Because like if you look at like salaries and all that, like we will have made that much money, but it doesn't mean we have it. You I don't know. know. I think I think a million dollars in the bank account is what they are alluding so to. So an actual millionaire, not somebody who has made that much at some point. No, I think okay. it was actually not that cumulative. you could look at your that your actual bank account statement says a <laughs> million dollars or more. Man, these it, headlines so. are bad for our generation. We look real bad in <laughs> these this time around. I know. <laughs> I know, but so much of it goes to the heart of how are these stats compiled? How are these yep. researched questions asked? Like, how is this actually – it's just like what we talked about last week, Byron, with the, wow, millennials can't even open a paint can and we're all screwed or whatever that yeah. line was. It's, 
I, I have to assume there's a skew, which is what this all of this is about, is that obviously Jimmy Kimmel's not going to get, and by the way, listeners, if you didn't see it, it's on our Facebook page. It's pretty hilarious, but three millennials literally with all the tools available, but me and Byron couldn't see the paint key itself in the yeah, pile of tools. Yeah, I don't think they provided the proper tool for the job, but whatever. Setting people up for failure on purpose for ratings is what seemed to be happening in that video, and I would have to assume there's maybe some slight bias in some of this research. But I mean, the first headline I was real, I'm 29 and love spending time with my 55-year-old parents because we're best friends. That's just, I don't know. That one, you can read it for yourself. It's in an Oprah magazine. Feel free to check it out. But, but obviously, the gist of this uh, is to, to address those stereotypes, those labels, those things that can be frustrations that just fester under the surface and cause a lot of divide between the generations which are then also exacerbated by by issues of faith and culture which we're going to get to in a second so with that being said uh zach i guess according to section one you're a millennial but according to section two you're not very (laughs) (laughs) self-aware so is that is that a fair assessment of where we're at um (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're not self-aware of how people prejudge us is really what that means (laughs) yeah Funny. So that sounds about right. Hopefully you can remedy that, I guess, or not. I don't know. I don't really know how to leave that because obviously we're making a point and we're using satire. So, so instead of reducing you to these stupid labels, let's actually get to know Zach a little bit more. Zach, you told us that you were kind of working on some education stuff, some ministry stuff. Uh, you, you are an elder in the church of the Nazarene, correct? Yes, I am. And you have you have been in ministry, but currently you're not serving in an official capacity, I guess. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so I spent several years as a um, youth pastor and then went back to school for a couple of years. And then we moved back home and um, I do a lot of <laughs> adjunct ministry. <laughs> um, just a lot of like, you know, side stuff. Like I fill in preaching or teaching Sunday school or help out with curriculum at church and, you know, kind of odds and end things here and there, but, but no, I'm not on staff currently anywhere. So that sometimes can put you in hot water with the denomination, because if you're not actually assigned to a location, then they don't really count that as ministry, I suppose, huh? Indeed. But you went through the, I don't know, I don't want to call it jumping through hoops, but sometimes it feels that way to become, to become ordained. And you did so outside of a Nazarene church. Is that correct? Yeah, so I started off in Nazarene Church. You know, that's where all my licensing and credentials was and still is. Um, but my, uh, my district, I had a good district superintendent, and he was gracious enough, and the board as well, to count um, my time in the United Methodist Church as time served um, that you have to do towards, you know, meeting all your requirements for ordination. And so I was considered uh, on special assignment um, to the United Methodist Church. And since the denominations are, you know, very similar and you know, a lot of important ways um, they count that towards uh, towards my uh, credentialing process. So that was really great. But yeah, I got ordained in the in the Nazarene Church while serving in the Methodist Church. Huh. Did they make mention of that during your ordination service? <laughs> um, I don't think so. They didn't give you an I asterisk. You know, like it was like. By the way, he, he's actually in we're the gonna, Methodist Church right we're now. We're giving so. it to him, but really, it doesn't count. You know, <laughs> that's funny. I'm a, I'm a, that's really funny. So I guess that's a no then. So you're currently ordained in the Nazarene Church, but you spend um, a lot of your time, it would seem, doing some, I don't know if I'd call it parachurch activities, but you're kind of still in the church realm, 
but maybe not in the most classic sense. Well, and you seem to be active in your church, too, if you're doing curriculum and helping out in other ways. So you're still yeah. an active member of your church, but you're just not serving Correct. on staff. So you're kind of not exactly in my position, but you know, I'm, I'm similar. I do. I part, I volunteer. I do other things in the church. I'm just not licensed or ordained or anything like that. You know, I'm just, I'm just, a, you know, one of the normal people. So Byron, <laughs> I know you, you tell me I only work on Sundays. Do you think Zach actually works during the week or what, what would you say about that? Oh, he, he must, he's got two kids. He's got to work really hard, you know, with two I'm kids. Gonna, I'm going to sock you next time I see you in person. <laughs> no, I just, uh, by the way, I've never said that on the podcast. I don't believe um, <laughs> because it's not real and I'm not trying to call out pastors. I think you guys work hard. Just no, it's just, you it's less the than love some language. other people though. It, you know? Oh my goodness. Oh, well, boy, you mean you barely work, you know, part time, man. What are you doing all day? Oh, Raising your goodness. children or something? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, hashtag dad life. So many things I'm going to have to not say because this is recording right now. So anyways, <laughs> with that being said, we're going to move on to the, That's all I want to yeah, say. I, I did. That was your own fault. True story. That's my bad. We're going to move on to the next <laughs> section of, uh, of questions for Zach. So even though we, we don't love stereotypes, we don't love labels, there is something to the fact that a majority of millennials have left this thing called church and and we know that you have a, a history with the church you're a minister so in a weird way you're you're kind of abnormal zach you don't really fit the norm because not only have you not left you're actually invested even more deeply in this thing that so many in our generation have completely disengaged from so because of the position and perspective that you have we, we would like to ask you some questions like we ask all of our guests um, and, and specifically about the church, but before we can get too specific about the church, we would like to add a very broad question at the beginning. In your own words, how would you just simply define the church? What is it? It's a good question. Um, I don't like the, the, the sort of cl- the, the cliche like phrase about the church isn't the building, it's a people. Um, so I think it's both. Um, you know, obviously, first and foremost, the church, the ecclesia, are the called out ones, and those are people. But you know, I part of it was just my, you know, the way I was taught and raised. But I, you know, I think there's something important about sacred space, about places, you know, to come together that are set aside for the, you know, the people of God to to worship, to fellowship, to break bread. Um, so I think the the church is where the kingdom of God is breaking in to the present hmm. and the most. Yeah. I'm going to just leave it that instead of the most, but yeah, I think, I mean, and so to me that, that kind of, I mean, that's really broad esoteric kind of language, but yeah, I think under that umbrella, you get your formal kind of church uh, setting, your traditional sort of church setting, but you know, the kingdom of God is breaking into every point of creation, not just, you know, a building with a steeple on top. Um, so, you know, the church is, is a both and for me. It's it's the building, it's the people, it's the worship service, but then it's also, the, you know, loving your neighbor and your enemy um, like yourself. Hmm. Okay, right. cool. I like it. All right. Well, then, uh, as I said, millennials have uh, exited the church in, in huge numbers. Um, so then we want to know then why are you still a part of it then? Why are you, I mean, literally you put your education, all this time spent and then actually doing ministry. Why are you still there? 
Um, I mean, that's definitely a question I ask myself a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm with honest. you on that. <laughs> um, Jesus, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds kind of like a hokey answer, but like. It's a Sunday school answer, right? It is. Jesus got Bible. You know, I I definitely went through a, a phase. That's That sounds pejorative, but like a time in life. Um you know, why I was not interested and left the church and got very jaded and, um, you know, didn't really want anything to do with the faith or really the church at all. And, you know, I think what brought me back to it was finding a, a faith that was actually worth believing in, um, you know, faith or a community that was worth being a part of. Um, you know, my understanding of Christianity was very spiritualized growing up, um, very, um, there's a lot of navel gazing. It was all about me and my salvation and what I believed and whether or not I was right and other people were wrong. And, you know, I think it's easy to get disgusted and disinterested in a faith like that. And I, unfortunately, I think that's what a lot of Christianity looks like today, particularly in the United States. Um, but for me, I, I, I can't talk about this a little bit in my book that I was, you know, kind of branded with, you know, a, a hope with a, a good picture of or a healthy vision of, of Jesus and the church as a young age by, um, a Sunday school teacher in particular, but, you know, family and my church family as well, that, that showed me a, a Jesus and a people that, that were actually worth loving and worth emulating. And I don't know, I, the, as I kind of grew out of that faith and, and really got back into the gospels myself and or the Bible, or particularly Matthew 25, and, and found a faith that actually was relevant to life and actually had practical implications. Um, and it could actually help people and make the world a better place. That kind of Christianity, um, really appealed and, and it does appeal and that that's why I stay. So what do you love most about it? The church, namely ice cream socials. <laughs> <laughs> man, I can't enjoy those anymore. I just realized we haven't had one for a while, but I'm lactose intolerant now. Oh man. Oh bummer. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> I have to mourn that we had we had second. another guest answer the same question. Similarly he said potlucks. Oh which no. I loved <laughs> Like, oh, those were the downfall of my ministry. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I do not like casseroles. I think they're garbage. I hate mayonnaise. <laughs> and um, pretty much. And they're in everything at a potluck. Pretty much, yes. <clears throat> yeah. That's great. His, um, but it's just great to hear that kind of stuff. Like, those are things a lot of people associate the church with. Yeah. And, like, I think our generation has kind of gotten away from those because it's kind of like we don't want to be known for the, like, oh, yeah, they have potlucks regularly. But there is something to be said, or, or ice cream social, but like, there is something to be said about gathering people together just to fellowship and have fun and spend time together. It yeah. doesn't have to be always serious, always like, oh, what are we doing? You know, like sometimes it's nice just to be like, hey, you want to come hang out? And like, even like with as youth people who we've all served in youth ministry, sometimes it's kind of nice just to have a night where you're like, hey, we're going to have pizza and hang out. Like, let's just have fun together. Like, that's a good thing, too. Like, you don't have to be super serious all the time. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's one of the things that that I missed when I kind of stepped away was was just having that community. And it's something that, you know, I've come to really value. I, you know, I like that my girls, you know, have started really gravitating towards, you know, children's ministry and they make friends. And it's it's good to see people, you know, or it's good to be reminded, you know, on a weekly basis if not more that there's people out there that love you you know and they care about you and they're invested in your life um even if it's just a simple conversation on sunday mornings or you know when 
when you move and, you know, you have all these people from church show up to help you move or you get sick and they bring you food or they start a gun GoFundMe for you or, or whatever, um, you know, knowing that there's that community out there to to support you and to love you, especially when you need it the most, um, it, it is, it is really encouraging. I mean, it can be overwhelming too. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and they're talking about their church and how you show up and there's seven people that shake your hand before you can get through the front door. And, and that, that's terrifying to me. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking for that kind, but like to find those kind of, you know, some of my, you know, still best friends and lifelong friends are, are people that I grew up, grew up with in church, you know, that I've still connected with and, you know, something that I still share a pew with. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we love the idea that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make it through life on our own. And, you know, I think that's part of the scandal of the gospel is it says we can't, you know, I mean, salvation is, is not an individual thing as much as, you know, evangelicalism may want to say otherwise. We love this personal relationship with Jesus and it is personal, but it's not private, you know, it's, it's a communal thing. And um, I think that's the thing, along with the practical implications I was talking about earlier, one of the things that's really brought me back is, is finding the healthy community um, to be a part of. And, and that's really, the, I think one of the biggest challenges of the church today is so many of our churches are not healthy communities, you know, for a wide variety of reasons. And, you know, we shouldn't really be surprised when people are leaving in droves when we don't really have anything offered that, that makes their lives, you know, better in the here and now. Absolutely. So, you like ice cream socials and then maybe broader strokes. You love the community. I do. I, I like I like seeing the community um, come together in fellowship, but I like to see when the community comes together to serve. Um, I just, you know, it's always really inspiring and it holds me accountable to, you know, answer that call to go and do likewise. Nice. Okay. So then there is the other side of that coin though. There are some good things about the church. We also want to talk to all of our guests and, and we talked about this too in the first episode, we kind of aired out some of our grievances with the church um, but we also want to know what, what do you think desperately needs to be fixed about the church? Cause it's clearly got some problems. So what do you think needs to be fixed? And also maybe how have you tried to combat those issues in the past or what are you doing now? That kind of stuff, you know, dive into that for us. Um, you know, I, there's, it's hard to say just one thing because, you know, we have, and have always had, you know, so many problems, um, you know, because we're full of people, you know, the church is full of hypocrites and sinners. And, and the problem is that's kind of the point, you know? Um, but, um, I, I think the biggest problem, like underlying problem, um, with the church today is, is self-centeredness. Um, you know, navel gazing, um, only really caring, um, and when I say only caring, I mean, in a way, um, beyond just like, oh, we intellectually agree that we care about things or we love our neighbors, but like in a way that, that is actually lived out. I mean, look at a lot of the um, really successful, like super famous preachers and churches, like big ones. And if you turn into a lot of the services, a lot of them were just like self-help sermons or self-help sessions, you know? And it, Absolutely. It's all about how we can help you and your family and your life and your job and you, 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 you. And that's just not the gospel. Like Jesus is constantly showing up and telling us to deny ourselves. Um, and, you know, there's, I mean, obviously the church is riddled with all kinds of, you know, super serious issues like, you know, like abuse and exploitation and marginalization and hate and bigotry and things like that. Um, and so like, it's very much not a one 
you know, uh, we fix this one thing and everything goes away. But yeah, I think that the undercurrent behind a lot of our problems, um, not least of all how 81% of people can, you know, or of white evangelicals can support a man who's anti-Christ in every way, you know, comes back to this self-centeredness of, well, I'm saved. I believe the right things. I'm not going to hell. And so that's all that really matters because faith is a zero-sum game that's just about me going to heaven <laughs> and not going to hell. Um, and so I don't really have to, like, care about these refugees. I don't really have to get to know my neighbors of color. I don't really have to, like, you know, do any self-reflection or things like that because I went down to an altar and, you know, saved everything. So when I come to church, I need to get fed. I need to feel good. I, and so I think church today, you know, completely centers around us. I mean, our church programming centers around making individuals happy. Our, 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 our sermons are about encouraging and, and, t- and, you know, giving people all these keys to life for, for their lives. And we do far too little of like teaching people to deny themselves and to look towards others and put others' needs in front of themselves. I mean, we get that every once in a while, but so much of what we do in church is centered around making individuals happy. And that's just not the gospel. And that is not um, what we are called to be as the people of God. So you had a, let me, I want to say this right, because American evangelicalism, I hear you saying, is basically this consumeristic thing, which is obviously very far from what the gospel calls us to be about. Um, and I guess this is this is like a question confession thing. Um, when I first started in ministry, it was about 2009, 2010. So I don't know if you were still a pastor at that time or not. Yeah, um, I was. Uh, but you wrote a blog called American Jesus, which kind of, I guess, from what I remember, 100% addresses that Everything you just said, yep. to some degree or another, right? And part of what was so captivating for me was you're just calling it like you saw it, and you had so much flack, so many people <laughs> commenting, and so much just <laughs> negative press, people hating on your website. Because obviously, I, I, if I remember right, the homepage, and this is honestly, once upon a time, this is why it's a confessional, I would never have admitted that I, I went to that website because <laughs> it was such a like a dicey thing to say. I don't know if you were affected by this, but the first church I was at was deeply impacted by the concerned Nazarene movement, oh, which was yeah. just not, not a good spot to be at as your first ministry assignment oh, straight out of Point Loma, which by the way, I know in your book, you said something to the effect of you wish you could have gone to Point Loma. Yeah, <laughs> dude, Point Loma is the place to go. Me and Byron it was went pretty to great. Loma. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Expensive, but, anyways, but great. <laughs> yeah, I'm still paying for it, but it was pretty great. Um, oh. But basically, looking looking back and uh, remembering, you know, it was almost like I had to read your website's blog because a I was like, yes, this, yes, I feel like maybe maybe if he's not the only one that feels this way and I feel this way, maybe there's hope for me because immediately experiencing the concerned Nazarene nonsense, yeah. which is really just kind of like stereotypical America, American evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, or just like Baptists coming to Nazarene churches and trying to make them Baptist or, exactly. you know, I don't know. It's like, okay, we can, we can be different denominations. That's cool, yo. Uh, but anyways, I would read that blog and it was like, it was very, uh, edifying, I guess for myself. I was like, okay, yeah, yes, I can't say that, but I can read someone else say it and <laughs> appreciate what is going on here. Um, but so much of that is so deeply ingrained in in a spiritual faith psyche which is exactly i guess what your book really addresses so i want to do a couple things with you because because your book i guess continues that conversation continues that narrative in a big way but to really appreciate what i'm saying 
to go beyond what what I remember from your American Jesus uh, blog, which was obviously something that got you a lot of flack and the thing that you said you did on the Internet to rabble rouse. Um, I want to just read a couple of reviews of your book, if that's fair. Um, It's my favorite (laughs) thing ever, because this is this is from your Twitter, Zach. You just you made like a, a graphic of the best reviews that you have found. And these are just kind of like either one line or really short excerpts or, uh, or, you know, headlines from, from reviews. Uh, they call it dangerous, slanderous, deceptive, wrong, just wrong. (laughs) Don't waste your time reading this book. That's an Amazon review. That might be my favorite one. (laughs) Encapsulates the drift from biblical truth. I guess that was a Twitter uh, t- that was a tweet. Um, and then this one is also really great from distinguishingtruth.com. This is obviously a book written by the spiritually ignorant for the scripturally ignorant. But then it gets, then it gets better. I was perusing your actual Amazon feeds uh, and like the headline, unfortunate attack on evangelicals or the other one that was the, there's two one stars that are just great. Uh, wrong, just wrong. Don't waste your time reading this book. Just read your Bible and discern for yourself. Which, honestly, it's like, yeah, maybe read your Bible. I think there's a lot to be said about that, <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure you actually say that in your book. It's like, if people would just read the Bible, they would see that some of the stuff's not in there. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, and then the other one that was pretty great from Amazon is it had so much potential. Oh, I love that and they're one. T- it's like, well, I'm about halfway through the book, and there, there have been some great nuggets, but I have to admit that I'm let down. He is obviously a former conservative who is now liberal in his political views. I don't care where a person leans politically, obviously, right? Because yeah. they're not, you know, pointing that out as the first thing. But what I take issue with is his continued use of his view of politics to make his points when he could easily have made the same points without allowing politics into the book at all. But and it goes on. It's great. You guys can read it for yourself. Go and buy his book. Read the. Obviously, if, if for me, and I, I'm sure Byron would agree. If you're getting this much flack, it must be a really good book, right? <laughs> I mean, you're saying something that we need to hear clearly. And it's like, so I don't know if what you and Josiah talked about when you first started talking about coming on the podcast, but he wrote a book too. And his cover was like, I mean, the, the, the book itself, I don't think he got a ton of flack for, but the cover, it has a hipster Jesus on it. Oh, yeah. And like somebody wrote a review. It's gone now, unfortunately. It was great, though. But just talked about like, oh, the book's okay, but this cover is just terrible. It's just, <laughs> people just get so hung up on little things. Yeah. But at the same time, like the cover was they actually intentional. said blasphemy. Yeah, they said blasphemy. They actually said blasphemy. The cover was intentional though, because every culture, we've used a, an image of Jesus in our own image. Mm-hmm. So we took Genesis and just you know I almost said something I probably shouldn't have said, um, and have changed it so much that God is now in our image, not the other way around. And um, we get so offend, uh, just offended and we just get so angry when someone calls us out for something that, that is blatantly sinful, in my opinion. And I mean, I've been guilty of it, too. I'm not innocent, but it's just fun to kind of read some of these reviews of books and people just get so up in arms about it. But I think that means that there's a difference being made. They might not be um, accepting of the message right now. But if they read through the whole book, at least they're getting, you know, something. There's something there, and maybe they'll kind of open their eyes later and see where you were going and why, why it's important. Yeah, you know, I think the problem is, you know, rooted in our theology. It's, 
you know, it's a problem with Protestantism in general, but evangelicalism in particular is that, you know, we believe that, you know, the path to salvation is, you know, agreeing to the right list of beliefs. Um, and if we don't agree to the right list of beliefs that we go to hell. And so then, you know, we shut down everything, um, like our cognitive reasoning, um, and don't like open ourselves up to new ideas, let alone to the movement of the spirit, because, you know, our faith was given once for all for the saints, whatever the concerned Nazarenes used to droll on about, like, <laughs> you know, it's this idea that like inerrancy of scripture, man, exactly. That, the, that there that is the this, kicker. this fixed list of doctrines or ideas and that anything that de- deviates from that um, isn't just heresy. It's like the work of the devil who's trying to mislead the church. Um, and, and I know that because that was me. I mean, I certainly grew up believing that way. Um, you know, anything, anyone who was outside of my box of, you know, acceptable theology was was a heathen, you know, damned to hell and trying to lead everyone astray. Um, and so, you know, well, if you look at some of these reviews like that Discerning Truth review, they didn't even read the book. That that review was written uh, a month before the book even came out um, <laughs> of on... course it was exactly and then another one was based on like the free sample chapter that i i had published and and so the thing is like people aren't i mean the, the idea you know i think evangelicalism is that you know right belief leads to salvation and so we're so terrified of not believing the right things and going to hell that that we see it you know see it as a mission or a, is a calling to you know uh, strike down the you know false teachers and point out all the heresies and things like that and man that that life is just exhausting you know and and I know because I lived it um, but like it, it's also just not the gospel you know I mean Jesus I don't know the older I get the least the less I think Jesus really cares what we believe um, <laughs> you know like I mean I think you know in a in a core foundational sense but like you know if you look at the gospels there is one time in all four gospels that Jesus says this is how I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats on judgment day. And it's not, I was hungry. It's not, you know, did you believe in the virgin birth? Did you affirm the Trinity? You know, what about biblical inerrancy, which, uh, you know, atonement theory was the right one. It's, I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was, you know, thirsty. Did you give me something to drink? I mean, my understanding of Christianity is, you know, is, is based on a way of life, you know, because that to me, that's how I, I see Jesus in the gospel. Um, living out the good news and calling us to to do likewise and, and so i think what what's really going on there isn't just like in those kind of crazy reviews and things like that isn't just like a clash of ideologies a fundamentally different faith you know i mean we, we talk about jesus and we use a lot of the same words and and read the same bible but we we have fundamental differences um uh, about what it means to be christian in the gospel and so it's, you know i think one of the big challenges like how do you have a conversation you know, with people who have already, you know, deemed you a heretic, um, you know, <laughs> or call you blasphemous, right? Yeah. You're, I had somebody tell me one time, I think my all time favorite blog review was that one of my posts was the worst thing since, uh, Hitler's final solution. Oh my goodness. And I was like, you know, it wasn't a great post. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was that bad. I think we might be exaggerating yeah, slightly though. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So speaking to like you, fundamentalism right that yeah. were, did, were would you say you were brought up as a fundamentalist um like yes and no so like i don't have the you know a lot of people grew up with you know fundamentalist parents and they weren't allowed to do this that and the other and you know this very straight and that wasn't me um i definitely grew up in conservative evangelicalism but like you know, my, a lot of my i keep saying but like a lot of my fundamentalist leanings came from 
like parachurch kind of events like, you know, youth rallies or church camps or Christian media, you know, books, movies, that kind of thing. Van Imp. Was that how you say that guy's name? Van Imp. Jack Van Impe. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so, my, yeah. you know, my family, I, I was in church two or three times a week, every week, involved in everything. Went on all the mission trips, you know, all the camps, all the youth events and things like that. But my family wasn't dogmatic, you know. And So you just kind of created that on your own in a sense? Yeah. You know, I kind of filled That's in crazy. the gaps. Um, well, you have the, here's a quote from your book, which I feel like really encapsulates kind of maybe, maybe not the whole book. I haven't finished it yet, so I can't say no spoilers, please. Cause I'm really enjoying it. Um, <laughs> this is a quote is that all I knew was the Christian life. And all I thought the Christian life was about was not being left behind. So it was all, all about basically you're following all these very dogmatic rules. And every day you, you start out your book with this kind of scene where you're like, I woke up. And no one was home, and I thought for sure the rapture had happened, and I got left behind because God got me on a technicality. Like, I obviously did something wrong, yeah. and I got left <laughs> behind. Right? Yeah. I mean, we – I think you can't overstate how much of a role the fear of hell plays in, in Christianity, um, you know, and how quickly it shuts down conversations. Um, you know, I mean, look at something like – we'll go super extreme with abortion, Right. You know, you, mm -hmm. you've got people who profess to follow Jesus on both sides of the issue, but neither will talk, you know, to the other, particularly, you know, the pro-life, uh, you're, you're, there's particularly conservative pro-life folks because it's an issue of heaven and hell, right? And so yeah. there's there's no space for nuance when it's heaven and hell. And that's not just Absolutely. abortion, I mean, that's any sort of issue, you know, that you can think of that has any sort of, you know, controversy to it. Um, if, if we frame everything that we think in the context of heaven and hell, then we, we create, a, we very quickly create a, a long list of enemies, um, and very quickly leave the way of Jesus because, you know, we can't even have a conversation with those enemies, let alone love them because huh. if we do, we might start thinking the wrong way. And if we start thinking the wrong way, we'll go to hell. So because of like Jack Van Impey and because of your own interesting, kind of curated dogmatic approach to faith i mean here's other quotes that really i feel like articulate this really well this one i was laughing out loud and my kids were looking at me like i was tripping but you were talking about how you would not even dare to play secular music how basically it was like yeah. stephen curtis chapman and michael w smith dc talk on repeat because nothing else would would actually count as is good music or whatever but you said my mom listened to oldies in the car and loved motown but I didn't want to take any chances. So I silently judged her and made sure my own music collection was composed <laughs> of only godly Christian music. <laughs> that's that's oh, not even a joke. Man. I, and then you, you have another snarky one, though, that's kind of in the same area. Said, but having a television in the privacy of my own bedroom was my spiritual undoing, as it has been for so many teenage boys. And I thought, you were, I, thought I knew where you were going with this, and then <laughs> I didn't. said, I was soon staying up late at night turning the volume down so no one could hear and wasting countless hours watching things I should have been ashamed to be watching. I'm talking, of course, about late night tele-evangelists. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> that was a weird kid, man. <laughs> your secret so you created, shame. You created and fostered your own weirdly dogmatic approach to Christianity and you even talk about like grandmother, surrogate, grandparents and all these other people that didn't necessarily teach that you kind of figured it out on your own, I guess, or, or what? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, so the church of Nazarene, obviously our you know, distinctive doctrine is doctrine of holiness. 
And, yeah. you know, this idea that we are, are called to live a life apart from sin. Um, and so that definitely was, you know, drilled home. But again, not from like my mom, um, some from my grandmother, but, mo- you know, it was more of, you know, pastors and preachers and stuff like that talking about, oh, well, are you saved and sanctified? You know, have you been entirely sanctified to the Lord and this, that, and the other? And so, you know, for me, it was just, it was doing the math. You know, it was just a basic equation. It was sin equals hell and, you know, wrong belief equals hell. And so if I want to go to heaven, you know, I need to figure out all the right ideas and know, make sure I believe all the right things and I need to do all the right things and not do the wrong things so I don't burn in hell for eternity. So yeah, it was, it, it wasn't that, you know, my parents were scaring the hell into me. Um, you know, it was, it was just, it was me filling in the, the blank spots in the, in the, the version of the gospel that I was being preached, um, Mm. you know, from, again, from a variety of sources, but like, you know, a lot of it too, was just, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so I would go off to this church camp or I would go off to this youth rally or some other event that seems innocuous. And, you know, you get this youth speaker up there at this concert, whose job it is to, to scare the hell out of you literally (laughs) Um, and so I'm rushing down these altars because this guy that I trust because you know my family and the church told me that this event was you know godly and trustworthy is telling me if I have you know premarital sex or smoke or drink then I'm going to burn in hell for eternity and so like you know I began over time to put put all the pieces together and you know from judgment houses to uh, you know Christian concerts to altar calls at church camp and realize okay Here's the basis of my faith. It's I believe the right things. I go to heaven. I don't. I go to hell. And so I went in search of all those right things. And that path led me to, you know, dispensationalism and the rapture as like, hey, here's even more stuff that I need to believe. And if I believe this, this is kind of like a a backup salvation plan. Yeah, it's incredible to me because that's so similar to to what could have been, you know, me and Byron grew up in the same church. We went to a lot of the same type of camps, I'm sure. Had a lot of the same, you know, like left behind. I know it said fiction on it, right? Yeah. But it might as well have been. This is basically what's going to happen, exactly. y'all. Like, yeah. you know, I even remember to the point I was reading, I'm like, oh, this type of Land Rover is really good. So you can go <laughs> off road. And that's because Tim LaHaye and the transmission. I, I remember getting that hardcore about it when I was reading it because the hero got the t- certain vehicle that could let him go anywhere. But, But I'm really curious. I mean, I love it it's weird that this is like the hill that people want to die on for me now uh, as an adult uh, after kind of, you know, being a pastor, doing the, the reading myself, going to school, you know, this thing of rapture, it's, it's the tip of an iceberg, right? Yeah. Like this eschatological view is the tip of an iceberg because then permeates so many of the things that you were just talking about before with what desperately needs fixing our consumeristic mentality, this personalization of faith, how it's all about I need to get right and I don't really care about anything else that's going on around me. So my, my question for you is why now? What was the inspiration to kind of take this on right now? Because obviously this is not like, oh, rapture talk is kind of going away. You know, obviously it seems to me, I could be off, seems to me that this is reaching a fever pitch right now for a number of reasons. Like this sort of conversation is reaching a fever pitch. So why now? Why write this book? Why publish it right now? Um. Well, there's a couple of reasons that, you know, the book, and I can't talk about this in the book, it, it's, it's really not even about the rapture. I mean, it is, you know, the title is there and, and I spend a lot about talking, a lot of time talking about it. Ultimately, it's a book about Christian discipleship, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what that looks like and what the gospel is really about and, and what are healthy ways, 
you know, of reading scripture, because those are all issues that come out of, you know, eschatology and dispensationalism and stuff like that, or unhealthy ways of reading the Bible and unhealthy understandings of salvation and unhealthy understandings of faith. Um, and so, you know, part of it was honestly, uh, my publisher approached me and we were trying to figure out a way to, to write a, a, a Christian discipleship book that hadn't really been written before or in a way that hadn't been written before. Um, and, you know, Unraptured is, is really just the culmination of, you know, almost 10 years of blogging and then, you know, 35 years of, of life, um, you know, because the book's part memoir and then part, you know, discipleship stuff. And so it's it's really, it exists because I exist. I mean, it, it's my story of faith, um, you know, coupled with my, you know, understanding of faith. And then, you know, I think it, like you said, it's right for the time because, you know, whether you believe in eschatology or you believe in the rapture or any of that stuff, um, it affects all of our lives in very profound ways, particularly in the United States, because, you know, conservative evangelicalism has a huge foot in the door um, in, in American government, especially right now with the current administration. Um, you know, they they have a, a big impact on foreign and domestic policy. So if you look at something like Donald Trump moving the embassy, United States embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, you know, that's done as a way to pander to, you know, his conservative evangelical base but it panders because that base thinks that such a move is is this sort of is this prophecy or is in line with prophecy that'll open up other prophecies they'll eventually you know lead to the return of jesus um you know say, they actually they actually think they can help exactly uh make it happen sooner exactly like they, they're taking steps to usher in the second coming because they have this escapist mentality of this this world's going to hell in a handbasket so the ultimate fix is jesus coming back sooner than later exactly which leads to like literal wars i mean 60 people died um in protest because of that move um but on the other side of that coin is the ambivalence when it comes to things like the environment um because (laughs) right because jesus is going to come and burn it all down then what does it matter right exactly and so you know that that is very literally shaping American environmental policy uh, in the United States because you know, like Donald Trump doesn't have ideology, you know, he doesn't have, you know, policies or anything like that. A lot of his underlings are shaping those policies or whatever policy decisions he makes are, you know, going to uh, pander to that 81%. And they are, you know, being told what to believe by, you know, by Fox News and all these other things, but also, you know, by their pastors and their preachers and the understanding of the book of Revelation. And, you know, what they believe shapes policy and those policies shape our lives and the lives of people around the world that we'll never even meet. And so it, it's, it's, you know, it's weird, it's quirky and it's unbiblical, but it's it's a topic that I think is really important um, uh, for our time and, and needs to be understood and, and pushed back on, you know, so that we get uh, have a healthier and more uh, Christ-like conversation uh, around the end of the world. Well, what I see is kind of the subtle undertext of what I've read so far is this call to be more biblically literate. Yeah. Because what what seems to happen, and this is probably the thing that has made me the most angry um, with what's going on politically right now, is how many pastors, or so-called, have come to the the surface, the spotlight, to go on news, to 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 tweet, to you know, go, rush to the defense of behavior from politicians and it's not just our president it's other politicians it's other policies and for me it's such a co-opting of the gospel and it would be so simple if people were just a little more biblically literate they would be like hey you're not you shouldn't you shouldn't do that actually like let's let's not do that in fact and hearing some of these big time you mentioned a couple in your book like 
like Hagee and I don't know if you mentioned Jeffress or not, but some of these big time, very influential people that just like you said, as a kid, you know, these are trustworthy people. And so maybe I don't read the Bible much, but this person probably reads the Bible. So I'm just going to take what they say, yeah. you know, uh, in, as if it is biblical truth and run with it. So dangerous. Yeah. I, you know, and that's, I spent an entire chapter in the book trying to, you know, offer a, a, a better hermeneutic or a better way of, you know, reading the Bible that I think is, it's not my idea. It's, it's old. You know, I'm, I'm quoting two guys that died almost 2000 years ago in, in Augustine origin. And, you know, the long and short of it is, you know, Augustine is just borrowing from Jesus when he says, you know, it doesn't matter how good your exegesis is. It doesn't matter how good, you know, your interpretation is or how rock solid, you know, you think you're, you know, um, your understanding of biblical languages. He said, whatever interpretation of scripture that you land on, if it doesn't lead you to love the Lord, your God, and your neighbor as yourself, then you're wrong. Um, and and all pretty the, simple. Yeah. And all he's doing is repeating the golden, uh, not the golden rule, the greatest commandment. You know, that's, that's what Jesus says when he says all the law and the prophets, you know, hang on those two commands. I mean, that's scripture um, is the law and the prophets. Simple. And so, yeah, I mean, it, like, you know, it's the cliche is you can make the Bible say anything you want, but it's a cliche because it's true, you know, and Absolutely. you've got these guys like Jeffers that will pull out a verse and say, well, the Bible gives Donald Trump the authority to wipe North Korea off the face of the earth. And you're like, what? Um, (laughs) But he's got a verse to back it up, right? Um, And out of context, if you just quote, you know, any of these old verses, you can really make the Bible say whatever you want. So that's why I really like, you know, digging back into not just the Bible, but what like some of the earliest Christians believed about the Bible and how they read it. And you're finding Augustine and Origen um, in particular was just illuminating for me, you know, and it's, it's just, it's so simple, um, but deceptively so it's just, is this causing me to love people? And if it's not, then, you know, I'm reading the Bible wrong, but that's obviously a lot easier said than done. So then what, what do you hope comes from that? I mean, there's a lot that I guess we could, we could hang our hats on. There's a lot of things that really concern me in this conversation. I mean, so much of it could be rooted in, in just the simple day to day for me, day to day as a pastor, I can tell people ask me questions and they're determining if I'm a good pastor. So, so the question might be, do you believe in the rapture? But they're saying a lot more than just do I believe in the rapture, obviously. Like you're saying, this book is about the rapture, but it's about so much more. But in their minds, they're literally trying to decide if I'm a good pastor or not. Because maybe the, the pastor on the TV said this, that, or the other, and they're on TV, so you should be able to believe them, right? Or maybe it's something else. You know, there's other, there's other rabbit holes we could go down. There's some that would say, oh, I need to like the, the president, Donald Trump, and that would make me a good pastor. And there's some that would, you need to, despise this guy and that makes you a good pastor like there's these quantifying you know they're almost labels in and of themselves statements but but for me you know as i'm reading this book i am just pondering in my head that's kind of the status quo that's kind of a day in the life of, of american evangelicalism so what are you hoping comes from this are you hoping american evangelicals will get past the negative reviews and read it and maybe start to to ask themselves questions are you hoping that maybe millennials that have disengaged from the church for these same reasons that you're articulating in your book would read it and be like, oh, maybe there's something more than what was offered to me as a kid. Like, what, what are you hoping comes from this book? Book sales, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, two things I, I think were the primary goals. You know, one, I think my main audience is that sort of the disaffected, you know, millennial or, you know, the disaffected baby boomer, you know, who has lost faith or has lost connection to the church. Um, because, you know, they don't see a faith worth believing in or a church worth belonging to. And so, I, you know, I hope 
to get that sort of crowd to, you know, maybe take a second look at Jesus, um, you know, take a second look at the church and see, you know, maybe there's something of substance here or something worthwhile. Um, you know, I, I just wasn't, I, I just didn't meet that Jesus before. Um, but then, you know, the other thing is I, I do hope people that, you know, that don't agree with me, um, pick up the book and read it because it might, as, as much as I want to, you know, offer, you know, offer, uh, this better version of, of the gospel, this or what not better, more biblical, um, you know, version of the gospel and, and this, you know, return to, you know, a healthier understanding of what faith and, and, you know, discipleship look like, you know, if nothing else, I, I would love it if, if people could find the courage to just say, you know, maybe I was wrong. Um, about something because, you know, that's, that's really the story of my journey in the book is, is struggling with pride, you know, and humility, because to me, if, you know, growing up, if faith was the key to salvation, if believing the right things was the, the get out of jail free card, then, you know, the scariest thing I could do was admit that I was wrong about something, you know, particularly something that was, you know, a core tenet of faith, because if I meant if I'd been wrong, then I was going to hell. Um, you know, and I think that as a church, we have, turned that confession into almost a sin you know because we have to be right because right is the is the path to, to heaven and so you know i would hope or my you know one of my hopes is that that we could learn to make more space in the church for humility and for you know admitting that you know maybe we don't have everything figured out you know maybe we've got these doctrines and some of them are good but you know, maybe we don't know all the mysteries of the universe. You know, maybe some of these things that we've always taken for granted, like the rapture that we think is orthodoxy and I think is a core doctrine of church. You know, if we take a look at that, maybe we realize that, you know, it, it actually isn't, you know, because it, it didn't appear before 150 years ago. Nobody in the church talked about it beforehand. You know, well, why is that? You know, and I, I love to start conversations like that. You know, if you, I love to just get, you know, people who, um, pick up the book to be willing to do some self-reflection like I'm still trying to do um, and ask serious questions about themselves and what they believe and 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 just as importantly why they believe it um, and, and open themselves up to the possibility that you know that they may have been wrong about something and that's okay um, because there's still time to you know to learn and to do and to be better so if someone comes to you like I'm gonna have possibly come to me on, on any given Sunday and just asks you that simple question. Do you believe in the rapture? Do you engage and just simply say, nah, or do you have a, a, a more in-depth conversation about it and, and kind of steer it to these sorts of conversations? Oh, I hand them my book and get out my square so I can take a credit card. And, uh, <laughs> them on way. Um, no, I, I, you know, I'm always, uh, you know, happy to have that conversation and, it just, you know, for me, it, it, a lot of it's just my personality. I, I don't, I'm not really interested in beating around the bush most of the time. And if you ask me what I think, I, I'll tell you. Um, I mean, I do have some sense of decorum, um, you know, <laughs> depending on certain situations. And, you know, I'm from the South. You know, you're taught not to talk about religion and politics at the dinner table. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to church having conversations with people about Donald Trump um, just because it makes my life and their life easier. You know, if they want to know what I think about controversial issues like that, you know, I'm easy to find on the Internet. Um, but but with those, I mean, people come to me in earnest, you know, and 
and want to have, you know, those kinds of conversations. I love having those conversations um, because they, I, you know, I have gone through the wilderness and kind of come out the other side and I want to help people find their way out as well. I mean, it definitely feels like that is part of my calling is for the gospel. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I love those, but um, you know, I'm also keenly aware that there's a lot of bad faith, um, you know, in the country right now um, in conversations and base that we're having that, that people are trying, you know, that there are people out there who, you know, just want to, like you said, like trap you in questions as a pastor um, so that they can go back to, you know, the district superintendent or the bishop or whoever and expose you <laughs> as a heretic and things like that. So, which, which, um, by the way, fun story, the, the reviewer that said blasphemer absolutely did that 100%. Yeah. Wrote up oh, a yeah. huge email and tried to get me fired. Oh, yeah. Been there, done that. So, <laughs> it seems like it's kind of a, an honorary badge that you did something, right? Like absolutely. you're doing something meaningful. So, someone's trying to get you removed. Which and I'm surprised. We, <laughs> I think we're we're gonna make it through a podcast without Byron making uh, reference to me not really being a real author, author since we have an actual real author on the podcast. <laughs> I'm proud of you, Byron. I mean, I was I'm trying to be respectful, just that uh, you know. <laughs> you just keep bringing these stuff up, so I have to keep you keep bringing it up, so I have to keep you know digging at you. I'm go. I'm just goading you for a reaction because that's the nature of our relationship. So. Yeah, but it's our podcast isn't though. about us. It's about our guests. So stop being selfish. That's fair. Enough. I'm a millennial, man. <laughs> Self-entitled. Sorry. So the book is called Unraptured. It's great so far. I mean, I'll prob- I'm probably, to be fair, I-, I can't guarantee a five-star right now, but I can guarantee not a one-star. And it's probably not going to say <laughs> something like, it had so much potential or whatever. Like, the, the-, the one-stars are hilarious. Wrong. Just wrong. I can't help but read that with like a Donald Trump accent, by the way. <laughs> wrong. I can't help but read it that way. That's just probably my bad slant. But, but Zach, we appreciate you being on. We're going to ask one final wrap up, kind of ascending, if you will. You could almost perceive it as our own weird millennial version of a benediction. Um, I'm going to read the <laughs> places people can find you on the internets and stuff. But what's, what's a thing that you would leave? our listeners with maybe they're they're the ones hung up in this sort of dogmatic evangelicalism sort of a you better believe the rapture or else thing maybe it's they're wrapped up in too much of the uh political i don't know whatever it may be you obviously are trying to get people to be more concerned with reading the bible and disciples so what's just a practical step obviously we're going to tell people to buy your book yeah but what's what's something that that we can do to just simply Move towards that that faith that you're you're professing that you say is rooted in a more honest, uh, authentic reading of Scripture. What what can we do to start moving towards that? Travel. Travel. Interesting answer. Yeah. There's a um, one of my favorite authors is like a lot of people is Mark Twain, and one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes is that travel is fatal to prejudice. And <laughs> you know yeah. I. I, I try to live that. I mean, it's, I love traveling personally. I mean, I've got, you know, pretty bad wanderlust, but you know, it's, it's really easy to hate people that we've never met. You know, it's, it's easy to hate cultures and write them off that we've never, you know, been immersed in. Um, you know, I, I think one of the best things that we can do is, is travel, whether, whether that's traveling around the world or just traveling to another part of town or even across the street, you know, and eating at a restaurant with people, who don't look like you and don't talk like you and don't eat like you and realize that, you know, that's okay. And that those people might even love Jesus. Um, 
more than you do and in, in healthier ways than you do. Um, but they just do it differently and that's okay. Uh, you know, we, I think we, I mean, you see that we, we're definitely living in this moment um, in time in the United States right now where we're, there's a huge segment of our population that's trying to become more insular, um, trying to push away the world and globalization and things like that. And, and I think it's something to embrace. You know, I, I love diversity um, because I love food, you know, and with the, <laughs> diversity comes great food. Like I love tacos, right? I love Greek food. You know, I love Indian You also food. love barbecue. Apparently you fed uh, <laughs> yes. barbecue at one of your speeches. I saw Tim Gaines is a friend of ours and yeah. he was at something. He was just taking pictures of the barbecue that you prepared <laughs> yes. for those that came, which was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it's uh, I, yeah, that, that's just a personal favorite thing, but you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, Eucharistic theology behind that too is, you know, it's, it's also hard to hate people that you break bread with, you know? Yeah, um, true. And so when I say travel, I, I mean it in all the ways, you know, literally and metaphorically, you know, get outside of your comfort zone and meet people who think and believe and talk and eat and act, you know, differently than you and, and begin to realize that God loves them too. And why is that, you know, and, and what does it mean to be a Christian in, um, Brazil? What does it mean to be a Muslim in Saudi Arabia? What does it mean to be in you know, an atheist in Germany, you know, and, and meet those people, seek them out, ask them questions, you know, talk to them, be friends with them, break bread with them. And, and your world will expand. And, and I think with it, that humility that I'm trying to drive home in the book, you know, begins to, to seep into our lives um, relentlessly and, and, and without even trying, because you realize how small you are in the context of this, this really big and diverse world. And, and how good and healthy and rich that diversity actually is, um, contra, you know, what we hear on TV and the internet these days. <laughs> so travel, and I guess by the book, there's a link in the description. It's called Unraptured, How End Times Theology Gets It Wrong. Zach, you have a website. I think it's ZachHunt.net. Is that right? That's right. And I blog, um, not as regularly these days, but over at Pathios.com uh, and their Progressive Christian channel. You're pretty prolific on Twitter. I tried. You, uh, you've you've been blocked by some notable people, I know, right? Yeah, the current occupant of the White House blocked me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's a feat. I mean, I was, uh, I was that, quite proud of that. that. That's a feat in and of itself, because that yeah, that seems like it would have to take some doing. But anyways, you can find him. You can you can. Uh, I guess he's not since he's from. You say you're from the South. Is Tennessee in the South? It is. Uh, we are south uh, of the Mason Dixon line. So you don't you don't talk about politics or religion at dinner, but you'll do it on Twitter. So if you got beef, I'm sure you can find him <laughs> like like all of his other followers do on on Twitter and say all sorts of fun things to him on the Twitter. Uh, but but check out his book and honestly, the discipleship, bring the Bible, traveling those are significant things that could help really paint a clear picture of what Jesus is calling us to be as a people of God. So so Zach. Thanks so much for being on the show with us, and thank you for letting us uh, insult you pretendedly, but also sharing a little bit more about what went into the writing of this book. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. Well, yeah, thanks again for uh, spending time with us. It was, it was really good. So. so to our listeners, if you want to hear more about this, check out this podcast, subscribe, rate, review it. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the things that – are all the places with all the socials and all that jazz. But generally speaking, if you want to hear more about what millennials think, or you like hearing about the unique faith-based work they're doing within culture, like Zach in books, 
then please join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. Until next time.